Do you ever feel like you're torn? Like there's a constant struggle within you? Maybe you would even say a, a battle is raging. You know what you should do, but you don't do it. There's a you you wish you were, and then there's a you that lives in this world. Maybe you're familiar with the famous story written by Robert Louis Stevenson. It's called The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You know a little bit about it, I assume. There are two characters in this story, Dr. Jekyll, who is a contributing member of society, and Mr. Edward Hyde, who is a murderous criminal. And so this lawyer throughout the story seeks to understand the striking similarities between the two, only to uncover that this is the same person. In one moment, he's Dr. Jekyll. In another, he's Mr. Hyde. I find myself feeling that way, feeling like I'm at war within myself. And that should not surprise me because the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6 that there is a war that is waging, and it's not a physical scene war, it's a war in the spiritual realm. That's also how the Apostle Paul felt. And in fact, in the most famous verse in this passage that we're going to read today, in Romans chapter 7, this is what he says in verse 15. I, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Do you ever feel that way? Like, God, I, I know I'm following you. I, I, I know I've given my life to you. I know if this world were to end, I would go to heaven. And, and yet, inside of me is this battle. We all have moments, even as a child of God, when we feel like the battle is raging. If it could be true of the Apostle Paul, you better believe it's true of us. That means even those who follow the best may struggle the most. And the struggle affects our thinking. We begin thinking wrongly. And I would suggest to you that that's, that's one of the biggest tools in the arsenal of our enemy. He wants to get you thinking wrongly, not just acting wrong. If you act wrong, then all you have to do is act right to get back in line. But if you think wrong, you may not even know you're acting wrong. So what does he do? He begins to make us... And maybe think like perfectionists. So we, we see what needs to be done. We, we know who we should be. And, and so we live a never-ending effort to, to be something we'll never live up to. Or we think judgmentally. We find ourselves looking down our sinful noses at the sins of others as if they're more sinful than ours. When this bad thinking gets to the extreme, it could even cause us to get to a point of self-harm. I've seen this in 30 years of ministry. People get to a point where they think, I can never live up. I can never beat this sin. So I'm just going to take my life. See, if you don't understand this struggle, there's all kinds of problems. So uh, that leads me to help you think about 
today's one thing. The one thing I want you to walk out of here with that is life-changing, we're going to draw from this passage and then we'll unpack it. Here's the one thing. Every Christ follower struggles with sin. But God's Word teaches us to embrace the struggle by finding our hope in Jesus Christ. He is our deliverer. I want you to say that last sentence with me. He is our deliverer. Let's say that. He is our deliverer. So let's talk about that. But first, let's pray about it once more. Father, again, in the name of Jesus, here we are, listening. So speak. Give us what we need that we don't have. Teach us what we've not yet learned, but we desperately need to know and make us new In fact, Lord, specifically today, we would pray, deliver us. Jesus, just as you taught us to pray in that model prayer, would you lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So, Lord, let the words I say and even my thoughts be pleasing to you, my strength, my redeemer. And, oh, God, would you... Do that greatest act of deliverance in someone's life today? Would you deliver someone unto yourself through salvation, Jesus? And I ask this in your mighty name. Amen. We're going to walk through this entire chapter, but let's begin in verse 12. So Romans chapter 7, verse 12. You want to follow along in your copy of Scripture, uh, whether a a written copy or electronic copy, that helps you know I'm not making this up. It, It allows you to test what the preacher is saying up against the Word of God. Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 12. So then, well, this is one of those moments where we probably should stop. Because when we see a therefore, or when we see so then, we know that's pointing back to something else. So what is it pointing back to? It points back to the previous verses and and what the previous verses were discussing. The law. The law of God. Remember, Romans is not a book. It's a letter. And it's not written to a random segment of society. It's written to a specific group of people. Christ followers in the church at Rome that the Apostle Paul was writing to. And he was writing to them because they were struggling to understand this salvation that they had in Jesus Christ. They looked to what Jesus had done, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. They understood their need for forgiveness, but they were people of the law. And so they were trying to balance what does it mean to look to Jesus and trust him completely, but yet follow the law? How do I balance law and grace? So in Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7, the apostle Paul is dealing with this balancing act, right? Romans chapter 6 reminds us that we're dead to sin. And because we're dead to sin, we can rest in the grace of of God. But Romans chapter 7 is telling us that we're dead also to the law. So how do you balance that? You don't have the liberty or license to do whatever you want, but you also understand that salvation is not found by just behavior modification, just by following the laws of God. So he begins chapter 7 by reminding them they're dead to the law. Now he does this with an interesting analogy. He talks about marriage. If you were here last week, I illustrated that, how when you marry someone, when you stand and you 
pledge those vows to each other. I promise to love and to honor, to comfort and cherish in sickness and health, poverty and wealth, forsaking all others, keeping only to you as long as we both shall live. When you do that, you're marking a change of allegiance in your life. You no longer are free to do what you want. Your allegiance is to that person. What happens if that person dies? Well, in the eyes of the law and the Bible teaches us, even in the eyes of God, that bond is broken. If you're a man and your wife dies, you're no longer bound just to that woman. If you're a woman and your husband dies, you're, you're no longer bound. So Paul then goes on to say, you were bound to the law. You were married to the law. But when you looked to Christ, you died to the law. Now you are married to Christ. Part of what he's asking, and I ask you, what are you married to? What's controlling you? Where is your allegiance in your life? Let's continue. Look at verse 12. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I'm calling this message Embrace the Struggle. Because we have to begin at a point where we recognize we're all in this struggle. As the hashtag says, the struggle is real. So how do we embrace this struggle? We have to understand why we struggle. So let me give you three reasons we struggle straight out of this passage, Romans 7. Number one, we struggle because of what we know about the law. We struggle because of what we know about the law. Did you hear what Paul said in verse 14? We know the law is spiritual. What else do we know? Well, verse 12 tells us we know that the law is holy and the law is righteous and the law is good. The law is good? Yeah. That's what God's Word wants you to understand. Well, why is the law good? Well, well, first, let me tell you how we look at the law. Remember the analogy I gave you last week of what if I were driving down Bush Boulevard and I was in a hurry and, and so I, I let my pedal hit the floor and say I was 120 or 140 swerving in and out of lanes and I got pulled over by Officer Wayne and, and, and all of a sudden uh, Officer Wayne looked at me and said, Hey, Pastor Paul, good to see you. Uh, you were breaking what? The, the law. What if I said... Wayne, the law is crazy. The law is silly. I don't like the law. Well, that would not help my case. And yet, that's how some of us look at the laws of God. This passage tells us that we look at the law of God as good. Why? Number one, because the law is the Word of God. You do understand that everything you have here is the Word of God, and it's perfect and true. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. The law is the Word of God. I can't just ignore 
the law because God spoke the law into existence. And so what that means is a second thing, the law reflects the nature of God. When I look at the law, I'm reminded of who God is. Who is God? God is holy. God is righteous. God is true, right? We even sing that in the hymn. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And so when I see the high standards of the law, I'm just reminded of the God that I worship. He's a holy God. The law points us to God. But then the law also exposes our sin, doesn't it? We realize that unlike God, we're not good. I don't know that until I see the law. If I didn't know there was a speed limit, I wouldn't think there's anything wrong with going 120 or 140 down Bush Boulevard. But because I know the law, I can recognize when I'm breaking the law. So one reason the law is good is because the law reminds us that we are not so we struggle because of what we know about the law. But there's a second thing. Paul reminds us we struggle because what we know about ourselves. What do we know about ourselves? Well, we know we are sinful, carnal, and difficult people. Remember what it says in verse 14? We know the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Now, that's not something we repeat often in church. What does it mean we are unspiritual? Well, we know we break the law. Paul even talks about that. He, he talks about the reality that he saw the law and recognized he broke the law. Did you know that surveys say that most people think you're going to be okay if you just follow the Ten Commandments? Most people think they'll go to heaven if you just follow the Ten Commandments. But the same surveys say most people can't name a commandment. Isn't that interesting? You can't obey or you can't keep what you don't know. We know the law, but we recognize the law can't save us. It just shows us we need to be saved. That's why the more Paul understand the law, the more he saw what a sinner he was. It exposed his sin. It showed him his need. And so he would eventually say, I'm the chief of sinners. How do we know we're unspiritual? Because the law exposes our sin. Let's go back to verse 7. Look at what it says. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. And once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. And this is one of those passages in the Bible, if you just read it through one time, you're like, yes, uh, what did that say? And so let's, let's just talk about it a little more. What is this saying? It's reminding us that the law speaks not just of external behavior, but also internal attitudes. I, I know this because Paul says, I wouldn't have even really begun to understand the law if it had not been for that last commandment. Again, I'm not going to ask you if you know the Ten Commandments, but the last one is, thou shalt not what? Covet. Now think about that. If I kill somebody, other people are going to know it. 
If I commit adultery, other people are going to know it. If I lie, the Bible says what we cover will one day be uncovered. Other people are going to know it. And that's true of all the commandments because they're reflected of external behavior until you get to number 10. And I can covet and nobody know it. But what Paul said, this internal attitude of disobedience will ultimately reveal itself outwardly. So here you are. You find yourself as one who knows the law. And yet you find yourself breaking the law. Remember who's writing this. It's the Apostle Paul. What was his resume concerning the law? (laughs) One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Philippians chapter 3. Paul's going to tell us to press on. But before he does that, he says this in verse 5. I was circumcised when I was eight days. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. Sounds kind of humble there, doesn't he? I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law. What? Without fault. That's what Paul is saying about himself. And yet here he's saying, it wasn't enough. I'm always going to fall short. Even Paul found himself deceived by sin. It's a struggle, isn't it? Isn't it? And it drives us crazy. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 15. I think you can relate to these verses. I do not understand what I do. Can anybody ever felt that way? I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's the sin living in me. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. Now notice what it says. But I cannot, say cannot. I cannot carry it out. I love the way the New Living Translation describes verse 14. Listen to this. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I'm too human, a slave to sin. Say this with me. Say, the trouble is with me. Yes, so... Part of understanding this struggle is is realizing what causes the struggle. And and the struggle begins because of what we know about the law. There's a standard out there I'm supposed to obey, and it's good. And then the struggle continues because of what I know about me. I'm a sinner. And then the struggle continues because of what I do. So you've got to ask yourself, do, do you know who you are? My friend Billy here has helped us get Celebrate Recovery going in our church. And, and one of the things about Celebrate Recovery, like Alcoholics Anonymous, is you, you have an opportunity to stand up and say, hey, I'm, I'm Paul. Celebrate Recovery, you might add something like by the grace of God or something pointing to Jesus. But you would then say, I'm an alcoholic or 
uh, or I'm a drug addict, or, or, or you would acknowledge your need, whatever your hurt and your habit or your hang-up was. And so part of what we've got to do in this struggle to lean into the struggle, you've got to realize where you are. Because where you are affects what you do. We struggle because of what we do. Look at verse 18. I, I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. It's the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. That's the inner me. That's me. Remember Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde? But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind. Remember how you think? And making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And so what do we do? Paul calls it seizing the opportunity to sin. So sin puts itself before you. And all of a sudden you realize, all right, this is my chance. I can meet my own needs. I can feel better. I I can do this my way. And we blow it. We lose the battle again. Such a struggle. We struggle because of what we know about the law. The law is good and it points us to God. We, we struggle because of what we know about us. We, we're sinners. And then we struggle because of what we do. We carry out sin in our life. Even though we know that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, even though we know that he was buried, he rose from the dead, and he lives today so that we might live in newness of life, we still fall short. So what's the, con- what's the conclusion? <laughs> We're a mess. Say this, say, say I'm a mess. That's the way I feel. And so how did Paul say that? He didn't say it exactly like that. Look at verse 24. What a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? What a wretched man am I? We don't use that word wretched a lot in our everyday language, except when we sing a pretty familiar song. Even people that don't go to church know this song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? Wretch like me. So Paul understanding what the law meant. Paul understanding who he was. Paul understanding what he kept doing said, I am a wretch. And in some ways it's quite liberating to acknowledge that, isn't it, Billy? To say, there's a struggle going on, guys. That's the beauty when a a group of support comes together and and they can stand before each other and say, hey, I'm Paul, saved by grace, but I'm a wretch. Notice the question after that. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? In Romans, Paul asks 61 different questions. That's kind of his rhetorical style. He does that again and again to help us think. 
who, who will deliver me? And notice what he says at the end of that. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Aren't you thankful for that truth? Look at verse 25 in the New Living Translation. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Whatever you're facing, no matter the struggle, the answer is Jesus. That's the one thing I've told you. Every Christ follower struggles with sin. God's Word teaches us we can lean into that. We can embrace the struggle. How? By finding hope in Jesus Christ. He is our deliverer. Praise the Lord. You're going to battle. You're going to struggle with sin. You're going to feel like a failure. But Jesus is your deliverer. So I would say, yes, we understand the struggle because of what we know about the law. We understand the struggle because of what we know about ourselves. We, we understand the struggle because of what we know about what we do. But, but when we struggle, we struggle with hope. Never lose hope. What does this mean? This passage, Romans 7, it gives us both warning and comfort. What is the warning? The warning is this, Christ follower. Remember, he's talking to Christ followers. If that's you, bad news. You're not going to get to the point on this side of heaven where you stop sinning. I wish it were different. But remember those stages of salvation? When we are justified, we are saved from what? The penalty of sin. When we are sanctified, we're saved from the power of sin. It's not until we're glorified face-to-face with Jesus that we're saved from the presence of sin. So we're going to have this struggle on this side of heaven. That's the warning. But there's comfort. The comfort is to encourage us that even for our Christ follower, these sinful choices, these relapses, they can be consistent with who we are. We just have to embrace who we are. Wretched man, wretched woman. Paul is saying the life of this wretched man is not as good as it could be, but it's not as bad as it could be. I I love what John Piper said about this passage. He says, we do not live in continual defeat. Don't live that way. If you do that, you're not looking to Jesus with the hope as your deliverer. Do not live in continual defeat, but we as Christ's followers also We don't live feeling like we have continual victory. We have victory, but we don't always feel that way. That's why in Romans we said we're not guided by our feelings. We're guided by the facts. This doesn't excuse our, our sinful choices. Rather, it exposes it. And when sin is exposed, what happens? Well, we either get comforted or we get convicted. So as we're talking about this day today, you're probably in one of those two categories. Because remember, all of us are still struggling. So when you look back at, just take this week, the sins in your life. Have you experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you were out of God's will? 
Have you repented of, of those sins and applied his forgiveness to your life? If so, then have you received his comfort to know that his grace is sufficient for you? We're about to the Mount Everest of all of the Bible, Romans chapter 8. And that's going to continue to discuss this issue. But before we get to that, Paul kind of, I, I think, gives us some cries of the wretched man or the wretched woman. Let me just give those to you and we'll leave. The first cry of the wretched man or woman. Lord, help me to love the law. A, a friend of mine says, when, when there's something out there that you wish you did, ask God to help you love those things that you wish you loved. One of the things we're, we're saying is, God, help me pursue holiness. Lord, help me to love the law. That, that's one of your handlebars, the, the practical application of this message today. Lord, help me to, to seek after the things that bring you pleasure and that bring you honor and that, that bring you worship. God, help me to see you as holy and as a result to pursue holiness in my life. Lord, help me to love the law. But then secondly, Lord, help me to hate sin. Not the sins of others. Warren Wiersbe says we're good at looking at sins, but we're not great at dealing with sin. Lord, help me to hate those things that dishonor you in my life as much as you hate those. Maybe you're struggling with something today and, and you just need to change your, the way you're praying about that. God, take away this desire. Let, let that be let that be awful to me. Do whatever it takes to cause me to hate sin as you hate sin. And then that cry of deliverance. That's the third thing. Lord, deliver me. Lord, deliver me. Do what only you can do. Deliver me. Why is it only God who can deliver? Isn't it up to you? If it's going to be, it's up to me, right? Is that how I get a brand new me, just by reading self-help books and doing everything I can? No. Why? Look again at what he said in verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from what? This body that is subject to death. Paul was from Tarsus. Tarsus, under Roman rule, would have had a practice that I think Paul understood. If an individual committed murder, one of the ways they were punished was that that murdered victim would be attached to their body, chained to their body, and they would drag it around until you know what would happen, some of you with medical knowledge, the decay, the disease, the death of that body would spread to the one that they're attached to. I think Paul was saying, 
I'm, I'm wretched because though I, I've followed Christ, remember his testimony, he, he knelt on that Damascus road, he looked into the eyes of Jesus and he followed him. But he said, I'm chained to this old me, this dead me that I'm dragging around. Who will deliver me from the body of death? You'll never do that on your own. Some of you are struggling with habitual sins and you're wondering, why can't I, why can't I deal with it? You'll never do that on your own. But thanks be to God. He's our deliverer. Some of you are wondering why here in Champa Bay would I have this L.A. Dodger helmet on the table. I was 12 years old. Um, I went to a Dodger game at Dodger Stadium. I saw Fernando Valenzuela pitch. Coach Tommy Lasorda was out there. I went back to Dodger Stadium this summer. It was, it was kind of, remember, that's where I got this helmet. Had to buy some nachos or something to get it. I loved watching Tommy Lasorda back in the day. And the reality is, Tommy Lasorda had some struggles. But in an interview with Sports Illustrated, he described something that I think can be helpful to you in understanding this point. He, he said, there came a day where I took out a pack of cigarettes from my pocket and I stared at it and it said, who's stronger, you or me? And I said, I am. And I stopped smoking. And then he said, I took out a vodka martini. And I said, who's stronger, you or me? And I said, I am. He said, I stopped drinking. If you know who Tommy Lasorda is, he's kind of a big fella. <laughs> He'd wear that baseball uniform, but <laughs> he's a big boy. He said, but one day, I, I looked at a plate of linguine covered in clam sauce. And he said, who's stronger, me or that plate of linguine? And he said, one of those little clams looked up at me and said, I am. <laughs> he never overcame that battle. And listen, no matter how hard you try, you may win some battles. But you can't do this on your own. You can't be your own deliverer. Every Christ follower struggles with sin. God's word teaches us we lean into that. But how we lean into that and embrace the struggle is by finding hope in Jesus Christ. He is our deliverer. Church, I want you to know that. He is our deliverer. So some of you today just need to say, Lord, deliver me from addiction. Lord, deliver me from lust. Lord, deliver me from a hateful and, and gossiping tongue. Lord, deliver me from gambling. Somebody may need to pray, Lord, deliver me into salvation. Whatever you cry is, you cry, O wretched man, O wretched woman. Cry with confidence. He is our deliverer. Let's bow our heads together.
If you're a Christ follower, I wonder if you would think about those needs in your life, what they are. And you would look to Christ, maybe anew today, and say, deliver me. The struggle you're having. Maybe you need to repent of trying to deal with this on your own or in your own strength. And just look to him in faith. But it's very likely that somebody's here today and you've never begun a relationship with Christ. And here's the deal. You've turned to religion. Maybe you've done it for a while. You've joined a Baptist church or a Catholic church or Episcopal or Presbyterian or Lutheran or Assembly of God church. You went to a big non-denominational church. and You realize that's not working for you. Maybe you've done all the rituals. You've sat in and raised a hand. You've prayed a prayer. You've walked down an aisle. You've been dipped or you've been dunked. But it's not working for you. Because you've never looked to Christ to be your deliverer. You've gotten caught up with this old you and you, you, you know this old you is there. And you've never looked to Christ to deliver you from that body of death. If that's you, I want you to cry out to Jesus today. And here's what you got to do. You got to remember, you got to start by knowing who you are. You are a sinner. You got to know what Jesus did for you. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead to forgive you of your sins so that you can look to him in repentance and faith. You start following him. Then you got to have a moment, a surrender moment, where you bend the knee. You surrender the control of your heart to him. That can be right now. You can tell God that in your own words, or you can cry it out in a prayer, something like this. You can say, Jesus, I need you. Just tell him, Jesus, I need you. Maybe you'd even say something like this. He knows your name, but maybe you'd tell him, I'm Paul, and I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, Jesus. But I believe you died for my sin. And I know you live today. So I'm ready to receive your forgiveness. I'm ready to start following you. Turning from my sin. Turning from my selfish ways. You are my deliverer. Tell him, I can't do this on my own, Lord. You are my deliverer. Tell him, I need you, Jesus. Take control. You are my deliverer. Deliver me. Say that. Say, deliver me. Tell him, thank you. I'm asking that our heads are still bowed and our eyes are closed, but... Some of you in the room may have prayed that prayer with me. And if you did that, I just want to encourage you. I want to welcome you to God's family. It's the most important decision you could ever make. So if you just prayed that prayer with me, would you do me a favor? Right where you're seated, would you just slip your hand up, kind of wave at me? You just prayed that prayer with me. Just slip your hand up right where you are. Just wave at me. That's great. Welcome to God's family, sir. Welcome to God's family. How about this? If you just prayed that prayer right where you're seated... Would you just look up at me? Just make eye contact with me. And you prayed that prayer. Welcome to God's family. That's the most important thing you could ever do. Welcome to God's family. He is your deliverer. Others of you did that. He will be your deliverer. 
That's who he is. Just a moment, we're going to sing after I finish this prayer and say amen. But you may have spiritual needs in your life. Maybe you want to come and pray with one of the pastors who will be standing here at the front of this church. Maybe you prayed that prayer with me. I'm going to be standing here too. I would love for you to come and just say, hey, I prayed that prayer. It's not joining our church. All I want to do is just welcome you to the family of God personally and see if there's any way we can help you because he's your deliverer. Whatever God leads in this time, you move. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm so thankful that you take what is dead and you make it alive. As that song says, Lord, you turn our graves into gardens. And Lord, as the part of Romans that we didn't even get into says, those gardens produce fruit that are for your glory. Lord, forgive us for the fruit in our life that is not honoring to you. Lord, thank you for the way we can turn to you and find deliverance. We love you, Lord even as we worship you now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's worship him.